Welcome back to the Ojogu Bonito podcast with your host, Jake Ron. Today I've got a very special guest on. It's my mate, Hugo. And of course, Mr. Ferguson. Welcome, Hugo. It's lovely to be here, JK. Really excited for the opportunity to talk about some football. So, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a Chelsea fan. Is that is that right? Yes. Uh, season to go not, out at the bridge? Maybe not the best season to call yourself a Chelsea fan, but no, definitely. Do we use an old joke, you poor soul? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hasn't it hasn't been hasn't been good in recent times, but um yeah. We're gonna we're gonna bounce back, trust me. Um so let's get straight into it, Chelsea wise. Uh, what's your th- what are your thoughts on Chelsea's season so far? Um break it down break down the the club in the 2022-23 season from all areas well I'm gonna start with just I'm not gonna be positive about it really specifically I I think if you go from winning the Champions League two years ago and then you know getting into having a decent season last season and getting into the courses against Real Madrid again I think that there is something inherently wrong with being in the position we're in in the Premier League right now which I believe is 12th that is correct and um, going out the way we did against Real Madrid despite them being such a good team I mean when we needed the two goals to equalise we conceded two goals you know in the second leg and I just think everything not even from then everything from basically the January transfer window when we've just been signing 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 has gone quite wrong and um, you know you kind of have to understand that the ownership, there's nothing you can really do about that. You know, Abramovich was forced to give up the club. But um, I just think the way that certain issues have been carried out, like Tuchel leaving, um, you know, Potter really didn't have enough time maybe to develop the squad, but there was a lot of pressure mounting. And Lampard, he's, he's you know, I didn't like him really last time he came in. I'm definitely not liking what he's doing this time with playing Gallagher at the foot of at a forward position when you know with Real Madrid's second leg but um, I just think it's what I would label it as as a season to forget really No I'd be uh, completely inclined to agree I think the owners have intent they've appointed the right players I think we're talking about this in house Chelsea's footballing structure is very interesting so obviously they've got Todd Bowley as the chairman Um, they've got Hans-Jörg Weiss Weiss Begdad Begdad Iqbali probably butchered that but you've got a consortium behind Todd Bowley obviously he's the face you've got Paul Winstanley Lawrence uh, Stewart and Christopher Vivelle as your three directors who recently came in and actually the January transfer window was their first so you've got well on paper you've got really good blend of experience obviously Winstanley coming from Brighton with Potter uh, Stewart coming from Monaco and Vivelle coming from the Red Bull group. So you've got very streamlined, dynamic thinking, and that's seen in, in the transfer market with the acquisition of many, many players with high potential and uh, an age on their side. And I, it leads me to think, um, I mean, if you look at this squad here, we've got on Wikipedia, it's it's a pretty stacked squad, and then you've got obviously the classic Chelsea where you've got loads of players on, on loan. Um, but... I mean, you're signing Kendri Pais from Independiente yeah. de, del Valle 20 for, for 20 million for a 15-year-old. Granted, most of it is in add-ons, um, but I guess that's what you've got to pay for, for talent, especially pre, a premium if a big yeah. club like Chelsea's coming in. So it it has been a season to forget, but at the same time, what would you say the 
the slimmers of hope or is that was is there any hope for you in terms of the young players who are coming through or you've bought oh i mean definitely and i was thinking when you're when you're making the point about you know the potential we have i was definitely agreeing with that some of the questions listen i've questioned some of the decision making at chelsea especially the amount of players but more specifically you know not to really kind of throw shade on any particular player but a lot of the players we have signed as well have been you know they i wouldn't have signed them let's just put it like that like pierre emerick Aubameyang, i wouldn't have taken him from barca i also think that raheem sterling i i don't understand why they start him over you know someone like Madwike or someone who's clearly scored the only goal against Arsenal he's young you know he may not have as much experience granted but he'll be more efficient on that um, right side but overall I mean the slimmers of hope uh, I really like our midfield I, I genuinely do our midfield potential I have to say is really looking good um, obviously I think we've got one of the best wing back combos in the world that could be just me you know, I, I, I agree, fan. and especially you've got Malogus to come in as well, yeah. Um, as a backup option, if Reese James does continue to be injury prone, you've got Ian Madsen coming back from Burnley, so that left side is going to be bolstered once more. So you could mm-hmm. probably afford to get rid of Chuaro Kukurea, probably leaning towards Kukurea, and rightly so. I'm going to throw in a controversial opinion here. I don't actually rate Reese James that much. Oh, really? And I know it's controversial, but every time I watch him play, I I never see enough from him in either direction he is solid in both directions and that's it and I have the same issue with uh, with Dallow at Manchester at, Manche- at Manchester well there's only one big club in Manchester there so is you can, of course and actually if you ask any foreign player you're gonna it, they're gonna call him Manchester so but the, that's, the, that's it my point being that I don't think they offer anything exceptional I will say that I think Rhys James is better than Dallow I won't argue that but I'm I'm baffled that he continues to be a first choice wing back for England. It it, it staggers me to be honest. Mm. Oh yeah, I, I can definitely see that perspective as well. Um, it's just me being a Chelsea fan, probably saying I, you know, watching him getting blown by Vinicius as well against Real Madrid a couple of times. That I can see where someone would say, you know, there are times where he's faulty and you know he is very injury prone. I'll, I'll give you that. And you know, I don't really. But I, I don't know who else you'd play at that um, at that position for the England squad. I mean, Trent's not being on amazing form. I mean, I, He's good for a, you know yeah, a fast yeah. build up. But I think sometimes you also need that solid kind of player who is gonna like work back and make those tackles. And I, I did say to you this yesterday. I think Conor Gallagher. If you get Conor Gallagher right back, I think Conor Gallagher right back might be one of the best players in the world. If you can get him there, get him with the positional knowledge, and especially get him to use. Uh, the bit between his ears and uh, train him in, in defensive scenarios and that's where a, a really good uh, part of the backroom staff being a defensive coach would help him um, and I've obviously said jokingly that British uh, defenders should go to Serie A I mean obviously Tamori is there but they focus a lot in Italy and this is a stereotype of Italian football but they generally focus a lot on the tactical side of the game and training the mind um, or you could send him to Simeone and therefore you will develop a sense of uh, sense of character and defending and really enjoy the the art of defending but that that's something that, that I've got a hot take there I think if you put Conor Gallagher right back and you get someone to work with him 
because I think he'd be a fantastic two-way fullback. I'm not sure if you if you think that, but I think he's got the engine. He can carry the ball um, because in in football, as I mentioned many times, you either progress the ball uh, play by carrying or through your passing. So, um, and that actually applies to Chelsea mm-hmm. midfield. Chelsea yeah. have got very very a very good midfield because Enzo Fernandez can do both. He's a great carrier and he's a great progressive passer. Um, better passer than carry. You've got Kovacic who can carry. Um, Kante who can carry as well. That's an underrated part of his game. And his work ethic is um, off the chart. And his, his, he's got a wonderful engine. Um, I mean, you're looking at even other players. Yeah, Conor Gallagher, again, through... You got Dan Sakaria as well on loan. I call him. I ni- I've nicknamed him the Zach because he's, he's just very good. He's I an really, absolute beast. I really like he's watching in, him play. He's in sort of the top five, top ten for you know highest speeds in the Premier League. I believe he, he's on loan, isn't he? From Juventus. Yeah, from Juve. Um, and he can also cover the centre back area, which may be useful as well. Um, so he, he's very suited to, to either being the pivot, pivot player. or Actually, you got Enzo as the pivot player now because he's incredibly comfortable in possession. Um, and Zakaria could be that more progressive midfielder there. Possibly a Kovacic replacement because Kovacic is out of contract in 2024 mm-hmm. and he may be on the move. But What do you think about um, Chukomenka? Kani you- uh, Chukomenka, I think if you give him a couple of years, I think in terms of progressing the ball through his dribbling, I think he'll be a very useful asset and I think he's a long-term Kovacic replacement. Yeah. Um, but here's, here's the issue that you've got then. You've got a lot of players at Chelsea who will be good in a couple of years, in two years, in three years. Mudrich is probably, of the players you've signed, Mudrich and Fernandez are the two that are closest to first-team football right now. Everyone else, as far as I'm aware, from my admittedly slightly less informed viewpoint, needs time to mature. You do not have time to mature in the Premier League. Chelsea are still math. Are they still mathematically possible that it get, they get relegated yes, this season? That's right. No, yeah, that that is very much a possibility. With five match days left of the season, that is not acceptable for a club yeah. like Chelsea. Surely, no, definitely. I'll, I'll have to agree with you. And also, on that point, I'll, I'll agree that you know, th- there's it, it's weird with Chelsea because you have that dilemma of oh, a lot of the players aren't experienced enough. And you know they they can't be normal starters, regular starters. But we change the lineup and the formations that we play so much, and throughout this whole season, and it hasn't really worked because you haven't built an effective, you know, actually starting eleven formation that you know yep. the chemistry is there. And the same with you know not playing players, not playing them in starting positions when they obviously could. Like you mentioned, Mudrik. Well, I would agree with that. In you know 19 minutes against Arsenal, he created the most chances out of the whole team three chances I mean so it it really doesn't make sense and that's where I come back to there's something the manager the coaching staff they need to sort it out because playing too many different formations over and over again and trying these I think we had by far the most changes I think you, you made like 41 changes yeah, or something 41 even more, changes more to our lineup. It was it was the most in the Premier League by country mile so I mean I think that's that's the problem we face. And I and I believe you by the thirtieth of June Chelsea need to cut a certain amount of players as well. Yeah. Um and that's what Pochettino was saying. If he gets in, that's gonna be his main job here and he has a list apparently of just right, you're going, you're going, you're staying, you know. Um because Mr. Ferguson and Hugo, correct me if I'm wrong, I see a lot of good depth in the Chelsea squad, but then again, you've got a lot of potential, so 
But there's obviously a dearth of number nine options. I mean, we talked about this. Are you going to let Romelu Lukaku come back? Probably not. Are you maybe going to uh, try and go the Liverpool route and have a false nine and two inside forwards who are going to get you most of the goals? Um, the most important signing they can make over the summer is not a striker, it's a manager. A manager that they will stick with for the whole season. That is the most important thing for them over, well, now I'd say. Uh, I would definitely agree. I mean, a, a striker is needed, but first we need to, we need to get this sorted out. You, you, need, you need a vision. Um, yeah. Whether that's Pochettino, I'm not too sure your squad is suited to that at the moment, to playing the 4 2 3 one, uh, possession-based, um, high-pressing. I mean, I was going to suggest... Uh, Ruben Amorim uh, from Sporting he's already won a league title he's a progressive coach he plays a similar wing back system which Chelsea have shown to be very very comfortable in um, he's developed loads of young players this season at Sporting with uh, Francisco Trincao being one of them who they signed from Barcelona who's got double figures for goals and assists I believe um, he's taken players like Nuno Santos who's a average winger and he's made them one of the best wing backs in Portugal um, there's like an insane Rabona goal better than Lamellas that he scored <laughs> as well and he's developed players like Manuel Ugarte who's going to move very soon Mateus Nunes Gonzalo Inacio um, and I think he'd be a really good fit for the Chelsea squad especially with his faith in young players but the question being akin to Potter is it too soon? Mm, well I, I think any manager right now is going to have a really hard... No matter how good you are, you're going to have a really hard time with this squad. It's it's not... I mean, looking just at the lineup itself, you've got an abundance of really confident, like, go-getter players who, you know, all have their ego. And that was a problem with Potter. That was, you know, in the changing room, that did come out that there was a big Potter that he did not command enough of their respect. And, you know, there were nicknames for him and everything. So saying that you know maybe you want to go with the sporting manager i'm actually saying and i told you this yesterday bring back jose i want <laughs> Mourinho back um he said he would <laughs> so he's more than welcome for me well the thing with uh bringing my jose Mourinho is um apart from me doing an insanely good impression of him which i <laughs> won't do on this podcast unless prompted um is <sighs> I like how he's left a big gap in there yeah. in case one of us wants to try and prompt him for <laughs> exactly. it. Um, well, I think that with the Chelsea squad, oh, as, I, as I'm speak for Jose, it's he prefers players who are more suited to his team, who are more ready than, than with the young players. In Roma, he's played Eduardo uh, Bove from central midfield, Zalewski. So he... He can bring through the young players, but he's not his star. He, he is like Conte. He wants to win now. And I think that uh, there's three thi uh, things that Mourinho needs. Uh, money, time, and uh, faith from the owners. And therefore, I, see, I think he's very happy at, at Roma. And uh, who knows, maybe he goes to Saudi or he managed uh, Portugal after Roberto Martinez. But... Yeah, Mourinho is very happy uh, at Roma. An impression aside, you actually bring up something really interesting there, JK, which is that 
can any manager who goes to Chelsea right now feel like they will have the faith of Todd Burley for a season? That's actually also a really good point I picked up on that I was going to comment on. And I would say, even being a Chelsea fan, absolutely not. I, you know, I do like Todd Burley. I like that he's got good intentions with the club, but he does not have the patience that you require. And he, he does not understand what is probably the most important part about a manager-owner relationship, which is what we were talking about yesterday, JK, which is that you have to allow the manager to be the professional and he is the one that runs the club. You have to allow that, okay? Like we were saying when we brought in Didier Drogba, okay, look at what he did for us, winning us the Champions League, essentially. Jose Mourinho, Ibramovic, sorry, he wanted a big striker. He wanted one of the bigger ones. And he and then Jose Mourinho was just like, no, we want this guy. No one knew him. He's like, this guy, you just shut up and pay. You pay for him. And look how that turned out. I, I think, I think uh, well, I'm going to go back into to talking about Jose. Um, he said, Mr. Abramovich, uh, don't speak, just pay. Exactly. And uh, he signed Drogba from Marseille for about 24 million, and the, as they say, the rest is history. Um, I think with Chelsea's uh, current sporting structure, it's uh, mo- it's more akin to to other modern clubs around the world, where there has to be there has to be a link between the owner and the sporting director. They have to have a vision, and the manager has to be a line. Uh, actually, this is where there's a difference between manager and coach. The coach has to be aligned with the vision because you have a three-tier system of owner, sporting directors and manager. The manager ultimately will tell ask the sporting directors for the type of players he wants and especially with the Red Bull group, there is a common idea of principles and the way they play, um, their philosophy, uh, coaching style, bringing through young players and that vision obviously starts from the owner and the sporting director and the manager execute it both in the transfer market and on the pitch and therefore it all leads to well Jose doesn't really fit because he doesn't play young players and Chelsea squad is extremely young um, and you probably want to sign Nemanja Matic again what did you think about um, now that he's out the race and Nagelsmann um, very very interesting character um, I could see it going a bit Potter-esque. Um, well, we've we speculated when Nagelsmann left Munich about why he left. Well, he left because a his girlfriend, uh, his current girlfriend works for Bild, so the players were afraid to say stuff in the change rooms. Allegedly, there was some tactics and team sheets leaked. Um, he turned up to training the skateboard on a skateboard. Is he's very on by he's Bavarian, but he's complete opposite of what a Bayern Munich manager he's is expected very, he's of. He's very idiosyncratic, I think, mm-hmm. is the word. Yep. And in a in a league, and especially in a country where foreign managers and players are heavily scrutinised, um, I could definitely see the, um, the pundits who are... I'm not going to... I'm not going to criticise them, but I'm going to criticise them by saying... They don't really know what they're doing apart from talking about the past, English football. Um, they don't really analyse the game properly. Um, they won't talk about details like we do about ball striking, body position, options on the ball. Um, I, I actually hold a, a contrary opinion to you here, which is that I think that someone with that that character and that uniqueness in what they bring to a managerial position 
it could go the way of Jürgen Klopp, where the media just completely takes to him. True. Um, I agree about that. But Jürgen Klopp, Liverpool and Dortmund, there was a very clear link with the club culture, obviously playing the same songs. Um, him being viewed as um, a possible possible messiah, managerial messiah, because obviously they had a torrid time under Brendan Rodgers, nearly won the league. Then Chris Bull happened. Chris Bull. Yep, that that is that, and uh, the Liverpool's a, re- a club. They really needed that boost, um, and I think if the chips are down, Nagelsmann would be under scrutiny. But to answer your question on the pitch, I think Chelsea would be much more comfortable in Nagelsmann's system, systems, shall I say, because Nagelsmann is very flexible tactically. Um, but there may be, yeah, l- tension between. Bowley and Nagelsmann and I think Todd Bowley is a great businessman he's great intentions as you mentioned but um, Hugo I'd I, like I to ask he speaks too much I'd like to ask you a question on this actually looking at sure. the uh, the Chelsea squad let's say that whatever manager you got in next was completely tactically flexible with every single player in the club a pipe dream I know but let's pretend it is in that world, what what system would you want Chelsea to play? What what style of football and what formation would you want them to play with the players they've got at the moment? Yeah, I would. Okay, so I would I would almost go back to well, I I've always liked a kind of five back idea with uh, Chelsea, like the two the two wing backs, you know, running up. I've always thought that worked. Um, so I would play uh, probably a five three two almost because I feel like you don't need that width up front if you're having the wing backs um wing backs coming up pressing the ball um and i i thought that worked i mean we played a lot of that under tuchel i believe or similar style um and i think chelsea really suit that because in my opinion we've got very fast hard working wing backs who can you know run up and down they they can tackle really well and then we've got that you know even if they break through the line we've got tiago the most you know composed you know, so we've got we've got a strong defence, and that shows through. You know, even though we're not doing well in the in the league right now, we're we've conceded. We're like third bottom, like third top at least conceded goals or, or something. Yep, so you've conceded thirty eight. Uh, Newcastle the best defence, then it's City, and yeah, you've got the third best defence in the league. Yeah, so in terms of goals, um, conceded, and um, and then I think. But that is crucial where, you know, if we have that flexibility and maybe we do bring in a striker, you know, I, I think three three in the middle would work quite wide. Three, you know, you got Enzo, you got... I In that formation, would I play Kante? He's getting a bit old. You know, if I only had three, no, I'd want two fast, you know, right and left midfielders who can really press the ball alongside those um, wing-backs. And then I'd want a, a flexible kind of maybe someone like Yao Felix up front and then I'd want a proper in the box striker in an ideal world that's that's the kind of formation I'd play with Chelsea what about Nkunku coming in could he do the John Felix role because obviously you're going to have yeah. to fork out 80 million at least 60 and to 70 that is, that is not worth it in my opinion I listen he had a great debut against Fulham despite the red card <laughs> yeah he was the best player um, but I really I just I haven't seen enough Miguel Felix is a little like Alvaro Murata. You look at him and you go, how on earth have people played, paid this much yeah, money for him exactly. all of his life? Exactly, and I, I think genuinely, I, I do not think... I mean, what, what did we sign him on loan for, 12 million in the end? Uh, yeah, about 30, 12, 12, 13 million. 12 million. Yeah. Um, I, that is ridiculous, in my opinion, for a season. 
like absolutely absurd and he's got what one goal I believe a couple couple goals couple goals um I mean yeah he's he's, he's not worth the money he gets he, you know every time he's just outside the box or in that crucial where Chelsea just seem can't seem to get it right I mean we're very comfortable in the midfield a lot of the times in fact that's where we seem to stay most of the game but um when we get into that you know final like 20 metres and right outside the box um, working from that our players just get dispossessed all the time and Yao Felix is at the centre of that and he's always you know he needs to be better on the ball I think and for someone that that's his specific job at the club is you know we obviously the manager knew you know okay maybe he's not the best finisher because you know he doesn't work inside the box and you know but he can't you know for all that money you have to be really you can't be getting dispossessed, you know what I mean, in the midfield and yeah. running the ball up. And I think that's a big problem with Yao, and that's why I'm 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 not a massive, massive fan of him, to be honest. So what would your ideal starting eleven be? Providing you've got Nkunku coming in in the summer, Malo Gusto coming in, in the summer as well. Um, what's your ideal starting eleven? So I just wanted to give you a little profile. Uh, if you're not already sure of Nkunku and Malagusto Nkunku's he's RB Leipzig, isn't he? RB Leipzig, very yeah. flexible player. He can play across the front line. Isn't he more of a behind the nine though? Uh, he can play behind the nine. He's played as a, a nine in a, in a two striker formation, um, even in a one striker formation. But he's not to add classic number nine, which Mr. Ferguson, correct me if I'm wrong, has number number nines of old have seen a renaissance, obviously with Haaland, Osimhen, Hoyland. Um, yeah, there's, I think it's uh, for me. I, I look at that and I think it's because you've got players who are solely devoted to their craft in that one singular position. There's been a lot. Of, there's been a bit of a trend, sort of, to, in the mid to late 2010s of complete tactical flexibility, um, sort of like an evolution of Barcelona tiki taka, um, where players were expected to play in multiple positions and cover in multiple positions. With the rise of these dedicated number nines, you've now got players. There's increased tactical awareness, particularly defensively. And these number nines, they sit down and they go, how can I break through a defensive line? And that's why Erling Haaland has scored the most Premier League goals in a season in a single season. Because he's a, he sits down and goes, I'm not going to worry about anything else that's going on on the pitch. I'm worried about when am I going to make this run? Which defender am I going to stick to? Where, where are my double movements going to be? You know, am I, I'm going to do my analysis on the keeper before the game. All of these tiny, minute details that you package together and you execute in a match situation. And that gives you another 3 or 4%, which is huge in the context of, of the Premier League. Yeah, I would definitely agree and that really shows through like you said with Haaland and you know that's when you know Pep Guardiola commented on you know how amazing you know Erling Haaland's spacing seems to be and he's always in the right place I think that is you've hit the nail on the head with saying that is really what it comes down to you know we've seen a complete evolution of just you know he's committed to doing his job and his job only and that's his key focus he's not kind of dropping back all the way and helping out the midfield no he's completely aware of what's going on around him and you know with him I mean I guess you can attribute some of it not not hating on him attribute some of it to you know his goals to you know you've got some of the probably the best team in the world and you've got by far the best playmaker in the world playing alongside him in KDB is that is that Bernardo Silva or is that Kevin De Bruyne no I'm joking KDB all the way Um, but yeah my starting formation right now. Just the last bit on Erling Haaland there. Um, his back-to-goal uh, play is improving as we speak, and I can see. I mean, he's got sort of four, five, six assists. He's got more assists than quite a few players yeah. this season. Um, 
and under Pep Guardiola, he, Pep's evolved his team to get the best out of Haaland. I mean, they play technically with five centre-backs, um, but centre-backs are physical but ridiculously comfortable on the ball. Comfortable as most midfielders in the Premier League. And that's enabled them to essentially play with, with five attacking players, with Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Jack Grealish, Mahrez, and obviously Erling Haaland. So essentially Pep's got a sort of five attack, five uh, in defence sort of situation, which is, I mean, from a numerical perspective, perfect in football. Um, so yeah, g- give us your, your starting eleven, with obviously Nkunku and Malagusto as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malagusto is a former number 10, now a right back. Um created one of, for in terms of defenders in Europe and in Liga created I think top three or four for most chances most progressive carries so that's dribbling past 20 metres and uh, his progressive passing is not bad as well so yeah um, yeah give us your your starting you know what? 11 I'm actually so I'm going to change my formation actually now that I was thinking about it with the players I would want to play <laughs> I'm going to go so I'm okay so I'm going to go Chilwell at the left wing back then I'm going inside. I'm really not a fan of Badia Shield. I've got to be honest. I like Badia Shield just because he's he gets. I would balance. rather Kulabai right now, and then I'd have um, probably have Tiago. Well, I have to have Tiago. Yep. Chalaba, I'd have him in there. And then I'd have Reese James on the right wing back. So that's the five back. I'm playing two in the midfield now. Two. I've changed it. I'm gonna go Enzo, and I'm gonna go Kante. Healthy Kante, and then up front, every player's healthy. Yeah, every okay, every player's healthy, perfect. And then I'm going to go, and this is going to be really controversial, JK, because a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I think he's proved, both of these guys have proved themselves. I'm going Mudrick. And Medweke. I'm going Medweke on the other side. Yeah. And then in the middle, I'm going Nkunku. And then we'll have Havertz coming off the bench. Um, I'm not playing. I'm not Mr. Ferguson, play. what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are good luck getting Kante healthy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in that case, I'm curious what you'd do. Um, well, if he was fully healthy. If, um, when he wasn't. Yeah. You bring Zakari. That that's be, it. Exactly. Uh, I was, yeah, I was thinking Zachary. I mean, we've got, we've got depth in the midfield, which is good. I think if you want a bit more of an aggressive midfield as well, you could obviously come into, you know, drop into two up front, three in the midfield, and then you can put cover in there. Um, I think I think that that shouldn't be a, a massive concern for us. And you know, even me when I was saying it, you know, Enzo and Kante, I was a bit unsure myself because I think you know I, I love Kante and he's done a lot for the club. But he is he's he's getting he's, he's getting up time. there in age. He's getting past his time. Um, I would like to see, you know, either we sign Zakaria. I'd like to see uh, maybe Chukwemeka there as well. Exactly, but I but think... But maybe too we, soon. Yeah, and we, we want a player that kind of mirrors, you know, Kante's play style, that very hard-working kind of, you know, he's everywhere. That's what everyone says, he's everywhere. Uh, hang on, hang on, here's a shout. What about Reese James in the midfield? Because Reese James came through Chelsea as a central midfielder. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Yeah, I, I think that that could definitely work. I mean... um it's a rogue shout, no, but he, no. he he played there for Wigan. That's where he came yeah. through. So I think I think that could work, but I think he's established himself now in the right back position. And I would, me personally, I would rather play him there because then 
I know there's someone reliable, actually, that's going to, you know, stop. Even though Vinicius got through a couple of times, like we were saying before, I know there's someone reliable. But Vinicius Jr. is one of the best attackers in the uh, world and most likely will win the Ballon d'Or in two three, to three years. Top three um, players in the world. They, they you, uh, there you go. I said a Vinicius Jr. will win the Ballon d'Or in the next two to three years. Um, he's put up 20, just a quick segment on Vinicius Jr. will be 30 seconds. Vinicius Jr. has put up over 40 goal contributions for the second year in a row. 22 goals and 20 assists matching his output from last season with obviously a few games left the Copa del Rey final this weekend which obviously we're going to do in our predictions and um, and the Champions League as well so the idea behind Reese James in central midfield for me is Mr Ferguson you mentioned he was solid but unfairly unspectacular or exceptional in one area mm. um, and I think his engine and his carrying ability and he's very comfortable on the ball would suit the central midfield area and obviously you've got very injury prone players there and I think Malogusto right back or even maybe Malogusto in central midfield Malogusto would give you something different and more creative and explosive from the right back slot could even play Chalibur in there to be honest Chalibur even as as I've said now Conor Gallagher yeah um, I was I was gonna I was gonna mention <laughs> that what about your your Conor, Conor Gallagher, Gallagher right back is my outside shout by the way yeah we uh, if you watched the Brighton Manchester United match yesterday evening, Moises Caicedo played at right back. But then he inverted obviously into midfield. Right, he inverted into midfield, but when he actually played at right back, he did not have a good game, to be honest. He he was he was torn to ribbons. Um, that, that is true. And but Brighton were very I, I thought very fortunate not to at least concede one because of that positioning. It, when when they changed it in the second half and Caicedo was able to move into a more attacking position and they brought on a dedicated right back completely changed how they played and they and they overwhelmed United at that point I don't necessarily think that I, I think that's a cautionary tale if you're trying to move a centre mid, central midfielder into right back but there's a lot of talk about moving the other way with Reese James with Trent Alexander-Arnold I think that's an easier move to do because of the attacking way that fullbacks play these days. Centre midfield to right back, you've got to have so much more defensive awareness. Like how Wambasaka got exploited for years because of his lack of defensive awareness on back post crosses, for example. But but then again, most fullbacks are failed wingers. I mean that that, that is that is true. Um, and centre midfield to fullback, the transition is not as as difficult. And over a season or two. Um, the skill set is fairly similar because in central midfield you're constantly scanning because you're one of the last you're in the midfield and behind you obviously you've got the defence with the well the last line of defence no pun intended um, and Conor Gallagher's lack of touches and passing ability and, and progressive passing um, which he makes up for his carrying ability would really suit the fullback role in my opinion and he's got the, the engine to do it um, over a season or two with the right, full, uh, right manager I could see that happening but um Mr. Ferguson, give us your sort of Chelsea, quick Chelsea eleven, and then I'll give us I'll, um, I'll give the listeners mine. What would I what would I give for a Chelsea eleven? I'm I am going to pull them up now because I've I've been busy fact checking back <laughs> in the, in this back corner, both with my with my laptop and with my keen footballing mind. Um, uh, I I'm not sure how much longer Thiago Silva's got to be honest. Yeah, um, that's that's a, that would be a concern for me if I were a Chelsea fan. If I was, my partner's getting really mad at me between <laughs> using were and was in the wrong ways. Um, uh, uh, so I would, I would absolutely get Buddy Achille 
under a mentorship program with Thiago Silva at the moment. Make the most out of him right now because I think you're going to get one more season tops out of him. Yeah, he's only signed for, I believe they extended his contract for one season. Yeah. Um, and then I'd, I'd probably go... Uh, I'd probably go Chalabar. And I'd still pick Azpilicueta, perhaps on, on one of the left or right-sided centre-backs. Because okay. um, I still think he's got a lot of both experience and game awareness as yeah. well, which yeah. is huge, absolutely huge, especially when Thiago Silva moves on. Um, the still Azpilicueta might move on this summer as well. But there is, yeah. And if, and if that happens, I think um, it'll be even more important that they make the most out of Thiago Silva while he's still there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd probably go. Would I go Kukurea or Chilwell at left back? I think I think you Just have to Chilwell. go Chilwell. I really do. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not Kukurea. sure he's. I'm not sure he's. He's good when he's fit, but I think he's too injury prone. Is my concern. Here's a shout, Ziyech as a, as a wing back on the left. <laughs> Let's stop putting the wingers in there. Yeah. Oh, actually, you've got Lewis Hall as well. You've got Lewis Hall who can do a job there. Um, He's all right. Lewis Hall's a central midfielder by trade as well, so there you go. There's another central midfielder to left back. But go on, Mr. Ferguson. Sorry yeah, for um, I tell you what, if, if Azpilicueta moves on, I'd probably put Fafana in there. Uh, would be my oh, yeah. call. I could definitely see that, actually. I missed out Fafana. He's been playing well. Yeah, he's been having a really good um, spurt a few games. Um, and then I, I'd probably, assuming he's fit, I'd go Chilwell and Reese James on the wing backs. Um, obviously, Enzo goes in centre midfield. Yeah. Um, I'm personally quite a fan of having in a five-back formation of having two uh, sort of not quite holding but defensive central midfielders yeah. where one can drop in when a centre-back pushes out and the other can push on and either help with the press or progress the play. Um, so I'd probably pick Kovacic on that on that front because he can just drop in when he needs to. He's not, yeah. ov- not obviously not the best at it, but he can do it. Um, in a way that I don't think it's not quite Conte's play style. Well, it's it was en- yeah. it's Enzo's uh, I think prerogative to, I think to Conte, get the ball out of the mm. off the back four, and he's exceptional at it. He's exceptional in he's very and you're going to hear this term Hugo a lot um, in modern football press resistant, and that mm. uh, ultimately that's a word that gets turned around a bit too much for my liking, but. Um, so you were saying two central midfielders. Two central midfielders. Are you and going then, to ten and then split strikers? I think I'm going to go front for, three. I'm going to go for a front three. I think. Yeah. Um, so that you can essentially do what I love doing, which is essentially playing a five zero five, um, where when you need to, the two central midfielders can push up and help the front three in their press. Uh, and I'd actually probably go for I go for Madrid because I do like him. I would go. I'd. I'd almost be tempted actually to go for Sterling because I think if you can find him some form really? again, I th- I think he you know he's he's shown that he's still got a good player left in him. He's just I think he's been a victim of a bad system and a bad yeah, sort of true. back room this season. I I would still give him a chance to to come good on that, and then up front. Um, are you signing a, nine, a new nine? Are you playing Kunku there? Are you playing Big Rom there? I think I think you've got to you've got to play in Kunku there. I, I'm not aware of how good he is in terms of his pressing. 
Oh, he's, he's pressing metrics. He's one of the top pressers in the Bundesliga. There you go then. So, yeah, you've, if you set set him up there, and then you can essentially play a, a 5-0-5, as it were, and even, you know, push one of the centre-backs up when you're in attack so that you've got a, a holding position back there as well, so it becomes a 4-1-5. So, essentially, your, your tactic is the New York bagel. Yes. <laughs> um, in terms of my starting eleven, uh, I would... I would get Andre Onana first of all because as a keeper it's crucial to play out from the back and ultimately give your players a sense of comfort. Um, I would actually play a 4-3-3. Um, I'd play um, Malogusta right back. I'd have uh, Fafana and Badiashu and in the big games I would rotate Fafana and Thiago Silva and how I'd get Thiago Silva to have game time is bring him on sort of 15, 20, 30 minutes at the end of a game. Then left back um probably Ben Chilwell in the central midfield positions I'd have Enzo Fernandez, um Dennis Sicaria and actually I'd play Mudrick as a 10 okay and then that would free up uh, a spot on the right wing which would have Noni Madueke I'd play Nkunku from the left interchanging with Mudrick to have that flexibility um or actually you could probably play Mudrick on the left um, and Kunku up front and then as a third central midfielder you have, you go Enzo Zakaria and Reese James and then um, but then if you if Reese James is getting injured so you bring you bring in you essentially go a little more attacking and then uh, I mean if you can get get by for Lukaku you can get by for Lukaku and then ultimately I would sign someone along the lines of um Maybe even give Datra Fafana some game time off the bench because he's been really promising. But uh, I would go with Nkunku or Armando Broja up front if you don't sell him in the summer. So that would be my... Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Broja. Uh, that would be my team. And I would also sell Kai Havertz some, this summer um, if he wants to leave. Kukurea I would, would happily get rid of. Um, I think the only thing that's good about him is that he has good hair and possibly that he's come from La Masia, but that's pretty much it. Um, but enough about me waffling about Chelsea. We've got to get these predictions done. We've got loads of predictions to go through. Um, so here you go. We're going to have quick fire predictions. Okay, let's do it. So just so you... So as the guest, you get special privilege of being allowed to choose whatever score you want. <laughs> JK and myself and Mr. Jennings, we always pick different scores to each other. Yeah, oh, okay. But as you're, the guest, you have special privilege. Yeah, you're going to go first. For, so you've got Man City leads. Um, oh, and, I'm now? I can give it now? Yeah, score prediction. 3 0. To Leeds? City. Man, Man, City Man City leads <laughs> comfortable 3-0 I mean they've basically already won the league and it's just now they're just going to go for quick three goals job done out of there uh, Wolves Villa um, Wolves are at home so 1-0 uh, I would say to, uh, uh, Wolves to who? Wolves to Wolves? Wolves um, Bournemouth against the Chelsea look we're having such bad season normally okay I'm going to I'm going to put it out there I'm going to go um, either 1-0 or 2-1 I can't decide to, between them, to Chelsea. All right. Yeah, just, just mention the team who you're going to pick. Um, and actually, uh, we've got Tottenham Palace. We'll to get through all your predictions. Tottenham need to get on form again. They're, they're, they're going to... Mr. Ferguson, do do tell us so, your predictions as well for all of these games. Tottenham 2-0 against Palace. Uh, Liverpool-Brentford? I'm actually going 1-1 here. Uh, so my prediction's Liverpool. pretty simple. I'm going to go 4-2 uh, Man City. 
I'm going to go 2-0 Villa. I'm going to go 1-1 uh, at the Vitality. Uh, I'm going to go 3-1 Crystal Palace. And I'm going to go for a 2-0 Liverpool victory. Um, moving on to the Sunday games. Uh, Newcastle against Arsenal up in uh, Geordie Land. Okay, that is... Ooh, okay. Um, let's go 2-1 to the Gunners. Uh, United against uh, West Ham. I would love to say the Hammers are going to beat them, but they're not. So I'm going to say United. I'm going to go again 2-1 here. I think I think Hammers are definitely going to score. Mr. Ferguson, your predictions? Um, uh, my predictions for uh, all of them thus far are going to be 2-0 Bournemouth, Chelsea. Uh, I'm going to say uh, 4-0 City Leeds. That's going to be a slaughter, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take Palace this week a 1-0 against Tottenham. I'll take... Uh, uh, a pretty rubbish 0-0 Wolves-Aston Villa. Uh, I've got Liverpool down to beat Brentford 3-0. I've got... I've actually got a one-all draw for Newcastle Arsenal hmm. and West Ham Man United. Uh, I'm going to take a pretty rubbish 1-0 away win. Uh, for Newcastle-Arsenal, I'm going to go... I'm going to go 3-2 Newcastle and United are going to win 3-1 away. Um... But Dav- and actually I'm going to say this now Dav De Gea is going to win the Golden Glove um, Monday's game uh, Fulham Leicester Hugo uh, up the Fulham 2-0 uh, no. uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Fulham Mr Ferguson uh, yeah this is this is Fulham's to win 3-1 uh, Brighton Everton at oh, the Amex Brighton Brighton 2-0 two, two, two no again Brighton Mr Ferguson uh, one all I think Everton are going to fight Ooh. now uh, yeah, I agree. I'm actually going to go 2-1 Everton. Um, Forest Southampton. Forest are home. By the way, just as a fact, Forest are the worst away record in the league. They picked <laughs> up five points away from home. Um, but they're at home at the city ground. What are you going for, Hugo? I mean, that's a pretty rubbish game, but I mean, I'm going to go 1-1. Uh, Mr. Ferguson? 4-3 classic. This is two teams in the relegation <laughs> battle. This, I think there's going to be fireworks. I'm going to go 4-1 Forest. What? <laughs> Forest are great at home. Forest are amazing at home. Right now, La Liga. Um, are there any games of note? Mm. Well, you've got the Copa del Rey final. Yeah, Copa up. del Rey final. Real Madrid uh, against Osasuna. Um, Osasuna, for some context, are 10th in the league. Um, but they've had a magical cup run. Real Madrid have lost to Hirona recently um, and Real Sociedad. Um, Hugo. What are you going I, for? I think even though, you know, we were talking about it yesterday, Real Madrid's been a bit out of form in certain areas. I think it's Real Madrid's to win it easily. I'm not even going to post score. I just think it's 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 not going to be, you know, it's not going to be. We need we need a score for right, totals. We need a score. All right. Um, okay, let's go. I think it's an easy 2-0. A light 2-0. Mr. Ferguson? Um, I think for me, it's going to be a 3-1. I'm going 3-2 in extra time. I think Osasuna have got a lot, a lot in the tank. Um, moving, who's winning at an extra time? Uh, Real Madrid, of course. Scoreline? 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, two. Uh, let's go to Ligue 1. We've got uh, Lens-Marseille, second against third. Um, Lens are favourite to win, but they're at home. Uh, what's Marseille's recent form been like? Uh, Marseille have won their last three games. Yeah, I'm, like for that one, I think it's... Um Marseille again I think they're going to win 3-1 Mr Ferguson um, I've got to put one somewhere nil-nil uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Marseille uh, the game the next game 
Um, we go to Bundesliga. Uh, Dortmund against Wolfsburg Sunday half four. Is it at Dortmund? Yes. Okay. Three 0 <laughs> Mr. Ferguson. Um, one all. I think this this could just be a little bit awkward for them. Yeah. I'm gonna go comfortable two 0 and Dortmund to win the league. I've said it. Uh, Serie A obviously Napoli have won the league now yeah um, congratulations to them uh, done it again in the year after winning Argentina winning the World Cup they did that in 86 and 87 is that, a, is that an omen now do Argentina have to win the World Cup every time for Napoli to win the league we'll see about that um, so Saturday we've got Milan Lazio we've got huge AC game Inter. Uh, AC, AC Milan uh, when we talk about uh, the two Milan teams, we, Milan is facing Milan. We call Inter. Mm-hmm. Inter. Um, I'm gonna go um, one nil Milan. Mr. Ferguson, uh, I'll take a I'll take a one nil Lazio. I think Milan are gonna save up for the uh, the Champions League first leg yeah. in midweek. Uh, I, I'm gonna go for a two one to to Milan. Next game is uh, Roma Inter. Uh, Inter have coming off a six-nil win against Hellas Verona. Yeah, I think I think surprisingly, for the two combinations, I think they're going to be complacent in that win, and they're also going to be saving up for the Champions League. I'm going to go one-one. Mr. Ferguson, uh, I think that's a reasonable shout. I'm actually I'm going to take Inter because they're playing away. They'll have to fight harder. Yeah, uh, I'll take them one-nil. Uh, I'm the only one going for Roma. Then I'm going to go for uh, a three-one Roma victory. Um. Sunday's game, we got Atalanta against Juventus uh, at the Gevis Stadium. So we're, I think I'm going to go Juve 1-0 just to light 1-0. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it's going to be more than light. I think it's going to be 3-0. <laughs> uh, I'm going 3-3. Ooh, you're big games, big scoring games, Jacob. Uh, Napoli against Fiorentina. Napoli obviously won the league. Are we going to see a hangover? Um, La Viola are... Uh, La Viola in the Coppa Italia final against Inter. Um, La Viola eighth. Uh, what are you going for this, Hugo? I'm going three two Napoli. Mr. Ferguson. Uh, hangover effect. I I don't think they'll lose, but I think it'll be a one all draw. I oh, took my result there, um, but I'll go for a two two then. Monday's games, nothing special there. So let's move on to the Champions League. Real Madrid against this Man City. It's interesting. And I think that City are finally going to do it this year and they're going to win the whole thing. I like Real Madrid more, but uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Oh, it's going to be a big game. So I'm going 3 2. An eventful 3 2, though. Like lots of shots on target type of very hectic 3 2. Mr. Ferguson? Who's it to? City to, to City. City. Yeah. I I think this is going to be a draw, and my prediction is that City will go through. If Madrid had the home leg in the second leg, I would back them to win the tie. Yeah. Because that's how they do things. Because they're away from home in the second leg. I think I think City are going to just have enough. And what with all three fans in the Etihad? <laughs> um, uh, Real Madrid and Champions League, name me a better duo. Uh, 3-1 Real Madrid. I can see that, but I just think, you know, City have, City have got it this year. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Madrid won the first leg, but I still think, even in that case, City would win the overall tie. Yeah, yeah for sure. 
Um, Milan against Inter at San Siro. Bearing in mind they share a stadium, so there's no real home advantage. I'm going. Is um, there a, is there a difference in ticket allocations? Yeah, yeah, there probably is. Okay. I'm going um, Milan to win. It's gonna be it's gonna be a two-one win. Mr. Ferguson, uh, I've got. I've got a two-all draw, and I predict there's going to be at least one red card, either in this in this leg or the second leg. <laughs> Am I the only one who actually thinks it's got nil-nil written all over it? <laughs> Apparently so. Um, then the Europa League, Juventus against Sevilla, and we've got Roma against Lokers, so potential for a, an all-Italian final when I go to mm-hmm. Budapest. Um, just another plug about my football trip. Uh, <laughs> we'll have podcasts virtual podcasts but you have my analysis of the cities and the games there um <sighs> i'm gonna go sevilla uh 2-0 they they turn it up in the uh the europa, league. The europa league yeah I, i'm i'm with you there actually i'm gonna take sevilla one nil it, it's it, it's europa league is their competition yeah they they live for it yeah uh, i'm gonna go two on juventus um, You're just disagreeing with everything we're saying. <laughs> actually, do you know what? Do you know what? I'll say this. I'm gonna go one-one. I think it's actually gonna be a draw. Um, both teams. I think Juventus have better quality, but let's see. Sevilla Europa League again, like Real Madrid in the Champions League. It's something with Spanish clubs in Europe. Um, the next one is really hard to predict. Leverkusen Roma. Um, I think it's Roma one 0 To be honest, Mr. Ferguson. I I think it's Roma four one. Ooh. I think there's going to be a big result here. I'm slightly basing this off the fact that I've got Inter down to beat Roma at the weekend, yeah. and then I'd expect to a, a bounce back bounce from that. Back, yeah. I'm going to go three-one Leverkusen, simply because they've been one of the form sides since Xabi Alonso took over. Granted, Roma are a very difficult game. I would have liked to see Roma play uh, Sevilla and Juventus play Leverkusen, just because I wanted to see both clubs there in Budapest, but. Leverkusen building something very, very special under Jabby Alonso. And um, yeah, it's going to be Alonso against Mourinho on the touchline. Um, and I think, yeah, Leverkusen have been playing a lot better. Alonso's taken them from, well, close to relegation, a bit like Unai Emery, close to relegation to to qualifying for the Champions League if they win the Europa League. So that's that there. Um, we we're going to talk about, we we're talking about manager of the season yesterday we were. in house I mean, Mr Jennings shout was Gary O'Neill it was and then I think Unai Emery and Eddie Howe um, but I think it was O'Neill Howe and then Emery um, Mr Ferguson what is your opinion on that um, oh, what do I think of that um, and I said Pep would win it because well I think Pep will win it <sighs> makes the most logical sense um, and from a Premier League perspective I think Pep winning are we just doing this purely on a Premier League basis yeah it's the Premier League manager of the season um, I'm not sure Pep would win it yeah me too um, I think it's expected that City challenge for the title I think for him to be manager of the season they'd need to have won it more clearly than it looks like they're going to uh, assuming they win it at all uh, purely on a Premier League basis that's actually quite difficult I think Eddie Howe's a good shout um, yes, Newcastle have got money, but 
they've got new money. They they still need to figure out what to do with it, and and how to play. And Newcastle have really transformed themselves this season. Unai Emery is a good shout as well. Don't get me wrong, but I think Eddie Howe has done more remarkable things with Newcastle. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. I'm also going to go Eddie Howe, and I'm going to make a bold statement that. To all the Arsenal fans out there, there is no way that Arteta can be considered as manager of the season simply because, like we were saying yesterday, JK... He's had three years. He's had three, three years to three. develop this squad and now it's coming to fruition, but that doesn't mean... It's not, you know, it's not a tran- transformational, oh, he did it in a season. Like, Newcastle have just come in out of nowhere and so I think that's why he can't be considered. Uh, in, um, in the- and they've And they've not quite... They've not quite had it in enough yeah. big moments. They've had some dropped, big moments. Yeah, they've dropped the dropped the ball quite a few times. Yeah. And as I look at the predictions league from last week, Mr. Ferguson beat me by three points. <laughs> but you do still have the overall lead. So um, it's what's cu- the overall lead? It's currently 24 points to JK, 20 points to the rest of the world. And Hugo, if you get the most points out of yourself and myself, then you'll join the illustrious rest of the world team. <laughs> so that's your motivation this week. Um, I did get eight correct score, uh, eight correct results. You got nine, and you got a uh, perfect score as well. Um, Which was the three 0 Manchester City versus West Ham. Um, no one saw the PSG Lorient game. Uh, that was amazing. I was loving that. Um, no one, no one saw the massive Brighton Wolves scoreline coming. <laughs> that too. Um, yeah, no one saw Udinese Napoli or Real Sociedad, um, Real Madrid coming, coming there as well. Um, no one saw the Lazio Inter uh, result coming through as well. I thought Sari Lazio made more sense, um, but football is is a very, very unpredictable game, as you can see there. I mean, obviously, if you look at last week, um, as the Excel spreadsheet loads up, I got two correct scores. Um, ironically, I predicted Chelsea to lose 2-0 to Brentford. Um, and I, I won by seven points. I, well, I, I remember what I predicted to uh, a mate of mine, Josh, um, 2-1 Chelsea, but and, that didn't happen. And, and Josh is a Brentford fan as well. Very casual Brentford fan, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything else to to add? Anything? Uh, actually, let's if you if we have the time, let's get a let's get a let's go on YouTube and let's let's get some analysis on some Chelsea games. Uh, any particular game you want to highlight, Hugo? Well, of this season. Yes. Um, let's go Real Madrid first leg. Okay. Um, that was away, wasn't it? So. Yeah. Real Madrid versus Chelsea. As Mr. Ferguson uses the flexible mic. Um, Absolutely, we've got we've got some wonderful mic arms in here. So I've <laughs> I've stood up and come around to the other side of the desk so that I can see the screen. See, um, as I remember this game, we started off, you know, getting pressured quite a bit, and well, we'll see. And I think we created some decent chances, but in the end, they just Valverde finished it. I reckon with the with the second goal. I was Benzema and Asensio actually in the first leg. Um, was it Asensio? That's yeah. who it was. Yeah, that Benzema, was the outside. Benzema, uh, that was the box and outside the box Asensio. So was he got the walk out there, Carlo treating uh, as former player. So that's obviously the first chance. So Chelsea get it clear. Um, Sterling. Sterling is actually. Um, I remember speaking to a mate of mine who actually played against Raheem Sterling when when they were in their teens. Um, 
Raheem Sterling is very, very strong for someone his his size. Um, I mean, for someone who gets knocked around as much as he does, yeah, you kind of have to be. And, and actually, I, I was going to mention this, but similar to Alexis Sanchez, Wayne Rooney, Sterling's been playing football since he was proper football since he was 17. So there's obviously going to be an inevitable drop-off then. That's the thing I have with Jude Bellingham in the future. Because obviously, if you play professional football since you're 16, obviously Hugo's a huge fan of the NBA, and they go later on. So they have to mm-hmm. actually help their longevity. Yeah. Um, but if you play professional football since you're 16, I mean, Aguero played it since he was 15, um, and then his city career sort of petered out with injuries. Um, there's going to be an inevitable drop-off a lot earlier than expected. So that might be something to, to keep in mind. Um, but obviously... So now you've got this here, Kante. This is some great interplay, I think. So if we go back here, oh, it's a good winner by Thiago Silva. Um, Sterling beats Kroos to the ball. And Enzo, quick thinking, nips and head across. Got Kante playing a one-touch pass. Um, Sterling back into Kante. And now you've got Jean Felix and Eder Militao. He's miles on there. Yeah. He's, miles, he's, he's, he's in his own half. half. So he's in his own half. So look, oh, yeah. so Felix is in his own half when the ball's played. Um Eder Militao See, this is, why has I, the, this is why I don't like Yao Felix um, But Joao Felix is not a striker by essence know, he's, he's, he's a second striker So Felix's next touch should be Well Militao's coming from his left side To try and tackle him from the right So Felix needs to take a touch inside, yeah, I was say inside. And he takes it outside He tries to shoot no, And then that's too late Because yeah, he's he narrowed he, the angle he needs, to put his, he needs to put his body in between him and Militao yeah. That way he either blocks Militao from getting to him or Militao commits a last man foul and gets sent off. Exactly. Well, th- that next touch needs to be left-footed inside, um, simply because Militao's coming to try and cover around him, as we see here. You can either Militao. force Militao to to try and go through him and probably commit a foul, or to do the jump back to avoid his legs, which True. will cost him momentum and cost him... You know, He'll then have to accelerate back up to top speed, and that gives Felix enough time to settle and make a strike. I completely agree, and obviously what happens now is he hesitates. And actually what we see with really good players, um, Mason Greenwood is really good at this, taking the shot early. Harry Kane's very good at this. Um, Many top strikers are, again, Felix is not a striker, but they take the shot early. So obviously Felix can't... Felix is dumb, Militao's too close to him, unless... He does a... You need to do a Ronaldo chop or something. Ronaldo chop or or a... an L turn with his with a two touch turn to t- pivot on his left foot because that's where the space is and obviously Militao's momentum is going that way I'm not sure what you agree think yeah, about that oh, a McGeady spin or something like that and then obviously you have Courtois best goalkeeper in the world in, on, yeah. on form at the moment um, so I accidentally knocked the mic over there um, who makes a relatively comfortable save and I, I talk a lot about, about this Hugo and you could probably give us greater insight into this because obviously the NBA is you've got a lot of tall players but having someone of Courtois size probably makes a huge difference in goal in comparison to let's say Hugo Lloris who's not as tall or Jordan Pickford who's you know exactly. extremely athletic but you know he not, hasn't not got as that tall. frame and Court- that allows Courtois to probably make the saves mm-hmm. that other players can't I- yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, but in that case, I mean, that was the most comfortable save I've ever seen. True. I mean, he was right at him. And now Madrid, uh, Madrid have possession, um, and Ancelotti's probably one of the calmest players you see, managers you see on the touchline. So the, this ball goes in, um, and then when we think about pressing, I'm thinking about cutting passing lanes. Uh, you got to block pass, cut passing lanes, and put pressure on the man, and you're 
movement has to do that at the same time. So Madrid are incredibly com- comfortable on the ball. And that's why I think against City, Madrid are comfortable whether they're counter-attacking or whether they're in, on the ball. And therefore, are City, that, are City are very good defensively this season. But they defend a lot with the ball. That, that That's the case. I mean, as Sarri said... Um, who actually, if Chelsea gave more time to, Sarri could have built a wonderful side aesthetically and results-wise. Obviously, he got the best out of Hazard uh, in the false nine role. But as the ball goes to Crozier, Kamavinga moves in field. And, I mean, at, at the moment, I'm kind of looking at Enzo and Kante. I'm not sure what you think about this, Hugo, but as Kroos takes that touch, he can either go to Alaba um, if Kante moves across, obviously there's a passing lane to Modric, but if Enzo moves across in sort of a middle position, he can cut that both lanes to Modric and Benzema. I'm not sure what you think about that in terms of movement. And obviously we're going to play the clip here. Kamavinga moves into position, obviously there's a clear passing lane now. And now you've got danger, you've got Benzema running in behind, you've got Rodrigo running behind, cleared by Thiago Silva. And Enzo wins. The, Enzo doesn't quite win that yeah. 50-50. Valverde, very good carrier, and obviously he gets very a strike off. Um, but that's way with the best. Kulbal does really well to close it down. Valverde oh, sort of outside really, of the yeah. outside of the foot, that. and then again Madrid very comfortable in possession, can slow it down, but up. They're also not really being pressed in that position. Though. There's exactly. four Chelsea yeah. players around the ball carrier. I remember what. Yeah, I remember saying that exact thing when I was watching it. There's just not enough in that Chelsea. You see the difference between them under Tuchel. In that Champions League run that we had, they were constant pressure. It's constant interesting pressure. when you see it's sort of in a low, low to mid block. I think. Yeah, when you see a team playing with five at the back, you generally don't think of them as a pressing team. You think of them as a, as a low block team. Yeah. But then you see that many players around the ball, and you think, why aren't you exactly. pressing that that ball carrier? Exactly. But but then again, and this is where I'll be very interested to see between City and Real Madrid because if you press Real Madrid, they can cut through you through Modric. Through Kroos, through Carvajal, through Rodrigo, through Vinicius, um, and City. City's one of City's main we- weapons. Hugo, in my opinion, is have you seen how ridiculously comfortable Edison is on the ball? Yeah. Um, so if you actually press City on from a goal kick, Edison can just clip it in behind. Mm-hmm. And if you leave space for Haaland in behind, as we know, that's inevitably conceding goals. Yeah. And I think many of the top defenders in the world. I mean, if you get Paolo Maldini, Desai. Costa Curta because I think defenders of old are actually better quality defenders than there are today um, simply because they're obviously football's changed but they're more focused on, on defending and the art of defending and that's why I think Serie A is probably the breeding ground for the best defenders, some of the best defenders in the world um, point being is obviously if you give players like Haaland space and time you're going to eventually score you're going to let them score so Ball goes over here, and then Carvajal's inverted, and Rodrigo's pinning Chilwell back. Um, and then, yeah, you need you need your midfield players on there. And then you have this ball, Vinicius. Kepa makes a de- decent save, but if he could palm it away... I mean, actually, I can't really fault Kepa here because um, Benzema is so close that even if he... Yeah, I mean, if even if he tries to use his fingers to go yeah I mean you can't really blame him such a bad goal and then Benzema scores a tap in Um, it's a great movement from Vinicius he makes a diagonal run inside and then obviously Benzema with his poachers and you'll always you know 
I don't know who's playing left-sided centre-back there. I can't quite see it. That's Gulabali. Gulabali. He's, he's got to see that Benz was making yeah. that run. Because it, it's the obvious thing that's going to happen there. Exactly. Is that the ball... Vinicius is clearly going to win that header or that, that reach out, whatever it is he's going to do there. Because he's in front of his defender and level with him. So he's going to win that. Koulibaly has to see that. And he's got his number to the camera, which means that he can see what's going on on yeah. that side of the pitch. So he can see... We can see Benzema running in front of him. Yeah, and that's... And if, if forwards mm-hmm. goal side of you, it's done, really. Yeah. Um, Hugo, do you question the the communication or Fafana's positioning here? Um, and obviously you've got Thiago Silva as well because Vinicius made a run in between the two centre-backs. Um, yeah, I, I think it was just one of those moments which you can't really afford in the Champions League, especially in, you know in the quarters but it was that moment where there was just a bit of lack of focus and a bit of you know oh, a bit of panic well oh okay when you have those two especially Vinicius Jr and Benzema you know coming through like into the box there will be a bit of panic oh do I go to this man or do I go to that man kind of and I think that's what happened it just it wasn't you know maybe the defensive plan wasn't executed well enough I wonder the only thing Can I would they suggest- play off I was going to say could they play could they have tried to play offside there uh, I'm not. I'm not so sure that would have been the right thing to do because you've got with a five back, you've got to get a lot of communication for for to play True. an offside trap. What I would say is possibly Kepper could have come out slightly earlier and yeah. spread himself and made a blocking save rather than a, a fingertip again, save. He's not. He's not Thibaut Courtois in the sense that if you're going on a one on one, you would rather go against Kepper than Courtois because Courtois is just physically intimidating absolutely but it's still a difficult chance uh, for Vinicius yeah. there so a, and a blocking save then puts the rebound past Vinicius rather than bounce rather than the fingertip save which pushes it to Benzema true and then obviously Benzema cannot miss from there no um, yeah actually I, I see your point about Kepa because um, he does he, Ke- he hovers around four yards out and the, and the strike is played I think about six or seven yards out uh, I mean if it was David De Gea I, I would say David De Gea would have probably used his feet then. That would have actually maybe yeah, helped the situation. Something, something with a bit more force behind it. Because mm. a, a kick, it might just kick it into Benzema's head, to be honest. But it might also kick it beyond him. You know, I mean, but, it might kick it in between the two centre-backs and you've got temporary relief there. Let's um, go to the uh, second goal as well. That so, was an interesting one. Um, so you've got Chelsea playing out from the back here. Um, Thiago Silva has a very good line-breaking pass. You've got Kante now. Um, assessing his options I'm not a huge fan of Kante in the final third I'll be honest uh, I think yeah I would agree with that he, I think so. he, did, he did a bit of that under Sarri because Sarri had Alan at Napoli who did a similar role and I think managers are stuck with it I don't know why but you should just get him breaking up play so now this is Sterling Militao and Courtois makes a, a wonderful save there um, oh yeah this was a ridiculous save yeah um, are we are we faulting Sterling at any point in this? Uh, does he does he have to? I mean, try if, if, and- uh, if a forward player gets the ball seven yards out from goal, it has to it has to go on target and it has to force the keeper to make a save. And and he did this. So. And he did. Yeah, should have gone the other way maybe if that was possible. But and maybe from that angle it wasn't. And and this is where sort of Chelsea was stretched in the ne- this next clip. Um, and c- this is where Camavinga at fullback makes a lot of sense because he can invert. He's a central midfielder by trade. Um, and so you you see here when Chelsea and you've got a well you've got a you've got two central midfielders who Camavinga's taken out of the game well you've got Reese James and Kante Camavinga's taken them out of the game 
And now you've got Vinicius running one-on-one against Wesley Fafana. Um, you've got Rodrigo coming in on the back. Um, Vinicius goes on the outside. For some reason, he hesitates. But if you just drive in field, if you drive at Thiago Silva, you've got a shot at goal. Um, and then he tries this weird dink. Is he trying to find Rodrigo? Is he not? Um, and then obviously Thiago Silva clears off the line. Mm-hmm. And now Kepa's quick distribution has obviously got Chelsea in the attack. But that's where the clip ends. You can see the replay there. Um, and now this is the next spell of play. So you've got Fafan on the ball here. And Hugo, correct me if I'm wrong, even in basketball, um, because Hugo is a very talented basketball player, um, you're only as good as your options, right? On on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and runners off the ball. So, I mean, if you look here, you've got... There's a passing lane to Kante, which I think will be cut out. There's a risky one to Felix. Um, did Chua get sent off this game? I think he did, right? He did. Um, I think he had to. We'll come to that. Was, that, that was I think a he did last have to man do tackle. Um, but then Madrid cut that out because Fafana puts his studs on the ball, which actually there's an interesting take on because the Zerbies, Brighton use a, di- a very interesting build up phase where they have, f- I think it's a 4 1. Uh, no, I'm, I'm standing like Todd Bowley there, 4 4 3. Um, they use sort of a four in build-up, but then a two in a split two, and they put the studs on the ball so that they attract pressure. It's the idea of attracting pressure, and if you're comfortable enough to play through pressure, then... Yeah, you're creating it, artificial transitions. Exactly. Um, so he plays this one-two with Felix, and now this is this is the bit where Fafana goes... He should really pass to Enzo. Then if you lose the ball in this third, you've got Real Madrid. So in my opinion... <laughs> First of all, Hugo, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you think Fafana should play that pass into Kante? First time, as he has the ball? Because then you take out... Um, yeah, actually, well... It's a difficult pass to it's play. It's a difficult yeah, pass. But then again, it, it would be, you know, even if you lost possession there, at least Fafana's back and he's ready and he can, he can cover that. I think the problem with... Um, Play the clip. I think the problem with what they do in the he, end, he takes that extra this. touch yeah. and that and Canvig has recognised that. Yeah, he, exactly. Um, I think at that point you turn around and you play it to Enzo yeah. Fernandez. You, you play it exactly. to Enzo and you let Enzo spread the play. Um, at this point, maybe a more confident Fofana plays that in first time because if you got Kante there, Kante can play off to Juan Felix, and then you have Sterling running in behind the centre back and the left back. And then that's obviously a dangerous position to be in. But even here, you can pass it to Reese James, but that's not a great pass. You can loft it over to Kovacic, and then you've taken out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Real Madrid players there. And you've got maybe if Chilwell goes out to in, Chilwell, you create a chance for Chilwell. Um, or you just simply play back to Enzo Fernandez. Um, but Kafana Kofa- uh, does neither of these things. He plays a one, two with Felix. He does the Zidane stepper, which attracts pressure. And he should really pass it to Enzo at this point because now Enzo has got a clear passing into Kovacic. Actually, inadvertently, that would have been a great great player, right? Because then you've got Kovacic in space, you can drive. And then you've got Sterling. You've got Felix who will go crash the box. Sterling, you have Chilwell. But Fafana does neither of these. Loses possession. And now you've got a... Now you've still got a four... uh, a four on on three there, and that's and if Valverde plays the pass into Rodrigo, that's sort of game over. But Valverde goes to the chance, and probably Rodrigo is lamenting him, and rightly so. 
But then Chelsea have created their own problems there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of that, you know, that indecisiveness does come from a lack of, uh, a, a, of lack of communication, and, a lack of coaching, cohesion. a lack of yeah, a lack of chemistry. All of those things are really sort of they are the when a player is comfortable in a style, they will they will be more comfortable when they play. Yep. And therefore, in that position, you know, I look at that and I see. You know, Fafana has not been coached on what he needs to do when he's had his back turned. Yeah, true. When, when he's been pressured enough that he has to have his back turned, then the coach either needs to say, "You dink the, you know, clip the ball out to the other side." Where the, if you're if you're being overloaded, like Madrid were overloading them on that right flank there, you either try and clip the ball over to the other side, and if it goes wrong, at least you've got a little more time to get back, or you smash it back to your keeper, or in that case, or you, you play back to your central midfielder, or you play it to your central midfielder in that case, true. yeah. Um, obviously, that that's the chance created. So now you've got Vinicius Jr. on this left-hand side. You've got Kante. I think Re- this is when he gets blown past, like Reece I was saying. James and um, Fafana. Now, Reese James, without the injury problems, probably commits more there. Vinicius is going on the outside. And, again, wonderful pass. Benzema here. And here, really... We've got it's, so many numbers back, but no one really. I mean, that, I mean yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's a very close shot to going goal, but yeah. no one's cut picking Modric no up. One, no, exactly. And if you, how if, many numbers did we have back? Yeah, like and and it's not just the you had you four, did, like quite one, two, seven. three, four, yeah, seven. If you bring it back to where Benzema plays the pass and stop it there, you have seven seven Chelsea players, and they are all within the width of the six yard box. Yeah. And there's no one on Luka Modric. And if Modric gets his pass, uh, his shot right... If he gets it right, he's got two Chelsea players acting as his blockers. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, Sweet, in fact. actually, if he goes near post, that's a that's a goal. I think Kepa would have been there if he went near post. I think he had the right um, But Kepa's getting blinded by three Chelsea players there. Um, but yeah, obviously that... very A whisker away from going in. Um, this is probably going to be re- replay. Now there's another transition so Chelsea again they're not cutting out the, the they're not cutting the passing lanes you can do that in the low block as well um, Mr Jennings the the football coach version of him he did train us to do a little bit of that when when, when I played for him um, but here Rodrigo moves into the ball Kukared pressures him Rodrigo plays it back within, within two touches and now Rodrigo's got the wrong side of him and this is the red card actually um Kukure does well to engage, but Chua, if Chua recognizes that, he's got to tuck in, right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's Kukure's to engage there. I think the problem is that the pass that's played into him well, the, has, in, has gone through true. three Chelsea players who are all stood within the centre circle on the halfway line. The midfield one should of have those, engaged. Yeah, that. one of those should be either engaging or actually just stood behind him, helping the defence out there. And and when Rodrigo's got the run on you, and yeah, it's a good ball over the top. It's a great ball over the top, and then this is it the had to be done. Yeah, it has to be. Uh, I said but, that at the time. I stand by. It had to be. But, but then again, ball. do you not trust Kepa in the one-on-one? No, not in that position. Um, because I'm thinking to myself here. Actually, yeah, well, Rodrigo Kukure has given up at that point. Yeah, 
which shouldn't be doing. He shouldn't be doing, but it means that if if Joel doesn't make that challenge, it's an unopposed one on one, and you exactly. always back a striker in that case. Exactly. Kepper's narrowing the angle down to ah oh yeah, it's a far. It's an easy yeah. far post finish. Should Kepper be coming out there? I think, think it's actually. A, I think it's actually a near post finish because I think Kepper's yeah. too far over just looking at that exactly. bit there. And then obviously this is the red card. It's a Stonewall red card. Um, Let's go to the second goal. Yep. So just loading that up. And that'll, that'll be that's a corner transition. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that was okay. Sorry, we just skipped that. Um, so here you've got essentially all the Chelsea players in their own box. No one's pressing Asensio. It's a very good corner routine for my Madrid, obviously using Vinicius. Um, but it, it, this is where they got to put pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Yeah. And then and you look and actually in that Asensio sort of uses Kukurea as a. And these three Chelsea players, I think that's Enzo, maybe Fafana and someone else, and Thiago Silva, as sort of a, a way to just bend it. Mm. And he sort of and he bends it, and ultimately that's the second goal right and there. And if you bring now, it back to just before Asensio gets the ball, you, you'll you see that the Chelsea defenders are kind of clumped in twos, yeah. which is really bad from a corner. Because mm-hmm. if they're clumped in twos, that means you're marking half as many players. Yeah. And I'm questioning how much time has Lampard actually had on the training, uh, on the pitch, on the on the tra- in the training ground, coaching these players. Two games before this, um, maybe not even. No, I think he had two. Yeah, he had two. And, and funny enough, most of the players that Lampard has inherited were there under his. Some of them were under his there when he was first properly at the Chelsea coach. So mm. the idea of bringing back a former manager, recent former manager, you're talking sort of two managers away, right? Um, is baffling, but Asensio uses that uses those Chelsea defenders on the line as a, essentially the the way to just bend it, and then you get that guy. I think the next camera, yeah, this camera angle is going to be better. Um, so Thiago Silva, the defenders have to tell them to go out because here Vinicius Junior he lays it off, and Asensio's got a clear side goal really. Um, again. If you have Lissandra Martinez and Varane, best expect blocks are going to go in. No Chelsea player even attempts to make a block. It's it's also Kepa is pretty much on that side of the goal. It's surprising that he gets beaten at that I side. I was about to say that as well. Yeah, I mean this will give us a better angle. I think it's not it's not it's still. not actually very well struck. It it stays low, which will block Kepa's vision of it for a little bit. But he is he's sort of eighty percent of the way over onto that post. So uh, he's, he must have just taken a step the wrong way and not been able to get back. That's the only thing I can think of, because otherwise that's just really, really poor. And then again, Madrid, mm-hmm. very, very comfortable. They've just brought on Danny Ceballos. And now this we, is... We can uh, already see what's going to happen here. Yeah, yeah uh, that's Al- Al- Alaba going in. Um, and again, when Real Madrid signed Alaba, I said this on the podcast, I said for 400 grand a week, you're getting a player who can who's world-class in four positions. Alaba's played in his career left back currently a centre back he's played at central midfield and he can even play either winger as a number 10 and winger or number 10 I would say he would be sort of a a, a mid-table winger or, or number 10 perhaps even but central midfielder he'd be a top 4 Premier League central midfielder left back and centre back um, easy I have no doubts about that um, I mean I think Pep tried to move in field um, but then 
Kepa makes a good save here and Benzema, but I say good save, but if, even if Benzema heads it to Asensio, Asensio would have a tap in and if Benzema gets that in, that's 3-0 tied on. So that you got to kind of question Kepa there um, in the in the last knockings of the game. It's a wonderful ball. Uh, it's not actually a wonderful ball. I mean, he, he, he gets both hands to it and if he can't catch it, he's got to punch it. Surely you punch it a bit higher though. Um, well, if you punch it, 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 it travels further in any direction and then than obviously that save you, you does. Palm it. And then, I mean, Benzema can actually, if he cushions it to Asensio, it's a tapping, right? Yeah. Or you do the you do the 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 little flick up yep. to try and push it over to the other side of the box at least. Do you think Hugo Lampard's substitutions were a bit puzzling because I think he brought on loads of defenders for attackers and then he brought on attackers for defenders towards the last bit. So I was a bit yeah. confused by that. Well, I would have just rather, even even though um, our defence was getting quite tired by this point, I would have rather, you know, we're 2-0 down, need to put on some attackers. And they, you know, I, I remember being very, like I said before, very puzzled with his whole game plan, to be honest, and the positioning of the players he was playing. And then obviously Enzo goes into Havertz, the overlap with Kukurea. It's not. It's a blocked ball, and then now, now, what are your thoughts on this? Obviously, this is a great block by Rudiger. Um, oh yeah, this annoyed me seeing Rudiger block that. Um, can Mount square to Gallagher at this point? I think that's a it's difficult too pass. Tight. It's yeah, too tight. I, for me, I would be trying to smash that into the top corner near mm-hmm. post. Um, but then, then again, you just got Rudiger who's made that block. Yeah, I, I don't think you play it low though. Because if you go low, you've got to beat the keeper and the defender. If you go high, you've probably cleared the defender, at least. And if the keeper saves it, it goes out for a corner. I mean, in this, it's a great... Uh, well, it, it turns out to be good for Mount. I'm just thinking, if Mount passes it to Gallagher, Gallagher lets it run across his body, but then Alaba could make the, the tackle. But I mean, what, would, what, Alaba, would Alaba be expecting Gallagher to take it first time on his left foot? Because my idea is... Gallagher lets it run on his right. He's got an open goal, right? So well, what you need there is you need Reese James, who stood yeah. to make that darting run yeah, into the he, box. He, need, he needs to come in option. at the back post there. Which I don't know why he hasn't. He's, he's, he just stood there for the whole passage of play. And then Havert skies that, and then sort of game over there. Yeah. Um, Ed, do you want to do another? Um, so that's going to be your Jogo Bonito for another week thank you so much for to Hugo and Mr Ferguson thank you for, for coming on me. and uh, yeah take care peace guys have a good one